0: Welcome, church leaders and friends. Thank you so much for tuning into the Effective Church Leaders podcast, where we try to take some of the perplexity out of being a church leader. And I'm your host, Becky Holton. Alexander Campbell began the April 5th, 1830 issue of the Millennial Harbinger with these words, quote, Will sex ever cease? Will the time ever come when all disciples will unite under one Lord, in one faith, in one immersion, in one hope, in one body, in one spirit, and in one adoring of God and Father of all? Will divisions ever be healed? Will strife ever cease among the saints on earth? Campbell, as he did over and over again, was pleading for non-sectarian Christianity. He was pleading for followers of Jesus to be Christians only and calling for the unity of all Christians. In the early years, at least, all of the leaders of the American Restoration Movement worked passionately on behalf of non sectarian Christianity. You know, they took seriously what the New Testament taught about unity and the sin of division, and they often referenced many scriptures. Here's some that they referenced. The first one is Jesus' prayer at the Last Supper that you were called is recorded in John seventeen, and it says I asked not only on behalf of these, the twelve, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word that they may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I and them and you and me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And that's from John 17, 20 through 23. And there's the Apostle Paul's plea for unity in his renunciation of the sects that had developed in the church in Corinth. He said, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters." What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And that reference is from 1 Corinthians one 10 through 10-13 and here are some of the sins that made paul's list of the works of the flesh in galatians 5 and they are strife quarrels dissensions and the factions which is a word that may be translated sex and of these sins paul asserts i'm warning you as i warned you before those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of god galatians 5:19 through 21 It's almost as if you can hear Paul saying, don't make me tell you this again. Well, certainly sects and sectarianism are condemned in the scriptures. They're condemned in the strongest admonitions for Christians to be united, joined together in one mind and one judgment. They are condemned in the severe denunciations of division, but they are also condemned in the very use of the term sect. Or, as we just noted, for example, in Galatians 5. You know, as I said earlier, the early restorers were passionate for Christian unity and against division. Just think about Thomas Campbell's 1809 Declaration Address. and Address. The purpose of that classic document from the Restoration Movement may be stated in one word, unity. The disunity of Christendom is seen as the greatest problem of Christianity, and here are some excerpts from that document. Quote, Division among Christians is a horrid evil fraught with many evils. It is anti-Christian as it destroys the visible unity of the body of Christ as if he were divided against himself, excluding and excommunicating a part of himself. It is anti-scriptural. As being strictly prohibited by his sovereign authority, a direct violation of his express command. It is anti natural, as it excited Christians to condemn, to hate, and to oppose one another who are bound by the highest and most endearing obligations to love each other as brethren, even as Christ has loved them. In a word, it is productive of confusion and of every evil work. Another excerpt, the Church of Christ upon earth is essentially, intentionally, and constitutionally one, consisting of all those in every place that profess their faith in Christ and obedience to him in all things according to scriptures. Well, as we have said, those early leaders pled for non-sectarianism, undenominational Christianity. But what does that mean to be sectarian? And what is a sect? G.C. Brewer, a well-known gospel preacher of time gone by, explained it well in, quote, The Church and Sectarianism, quote, in the 1949 book, Foundation, Facts, and Primary Principles. The material referenced here from that book was originally delivered at Abilene Christian College and was published in the 1924 volume of lectures. The English word sect, Brewer noted, is from the Latin root from which we get our word section. It denotes a part of a whole. In the context of religion, the word sect connotes a division of people according to religious or philosophical principles. It has to do with people who have something in common, but who choose to separate into different and often warring bands consider the jews in jesus's day that you know they were one people who had much in common they were one in blood in history and in the broad outlines of religion they all recognized the one god the one lawgiver and one law but they were divided over interpretation of the law and over speculative opinions the best known sects of the jews were the pharisees and the sadducees and the essenes in the same way christians have much in common They believe in one Lord and one Spirit and one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all, according to Ephesians 4. They are part of the one universal body of Christ and have experienced the one baptism. But when they choose to divide over some other belief or principle, when they choose to create a schism, separate from one body, and become something in addition to being a Christian— a member of the body of Christ. They're guilty of becoming a sect, a part of the whole. Here is Brewer's additional comment on what it means to be non-sectarian and on the non-sectarian goal of the early leaders of the Restoration Movement. He said, A more noble purpose never glowed in the bosom of any reformer, crusader, or martyr than that which inspired those heroic souls who inaugurated what is known as the Restoration Movement. They had no intention of founding a new sect, to contend for any special doctrine, or for any particular set of Christian principles. They called upon all professed followers of Christ to abandon sectarian names, remove sectarian boundaries, rise above the sectarian spirit, and be members only of the church, the church which includes all Christians and teaches all Christian principles. Nor did they ever assume, much less say, that there were no people who were sincerely endeavoring to follow Christ among the sects In fact, they encourage Christians to come out of the sects and to just be Christians only. Not this brand of Christian or a Christian with that particular label, but just Christians, followers of Jesus. In 1983, then-editor of Firm Foundation, Rural Lemons, sounded this warning. He said, we feel that the great struggle of the next quarter century will be to keep the church from drifting further into sectarianism and from becoming just another big denomination. Sectarianism is an ugly and anti-Christian spirit. It was in the first century, and it still is today. It is the soil in which denominations grow and thrive. But the plea for the restoration of the New Testament Christianity, it's just such a beautiful one. It declares that we can be Christians only, that we can go back to the scriptures and lay aside human names, human creeds, and human philosophies. It believes and declares that we can just be followers of Jesus, who let the name of the Savior be the only name we wear. And it says that we can stand together without any other entangling alliances united in Christ. Now that's a dream worth achieving. It's a challenge that is absolutely worthy of our best effort.